Caleb Bislow graduated from Bethel College and spent eight years as a pastor. He served at CW from 2000 to 2005 before God started calling him to something more. He decided safety was overrated and he became what he calls an extreme missionary, traveling to some of the world's toughest places. Today he operates a nonprofit called Unusual Soldiers, training followers of Christ to engage the dark, dangerous, and difficult corners of the world. Please welcome to the stage, Caleb Bislow. Uh, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you. Actually, I don't call myself an extreme missionary, but people have called me that. So I guess I've adopted that. And, uh, and, uh, but it's super great to, to be here with you guys. Uh, you know, I, I was watching your baptism videos the other day. Uh, just amazing to see what God's doing here at Colonial Woods. And, uh, you know, when I think back to 2005, another thing that's amazing is a lot of the, the staff that, that are the pastors, a lot of them are the same people. Isn't that awesome that uh, God has just got a healthy ministry happening here at Colonial Woods? So it's always like coming back to family. Uh, my wife and kids are here somewhere. Good luck if you know them. Uh, but uh, uh, it's good for us to be back. We're from Nebraska, so we made the short drive from Nebraska to come here to be with you. You're the only church in the U.S. I would drive that far to speak at. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, we wanted our kids to kind of see where we grew up and uh, just to see some happy memories that we had here and meet some of your faces. So it was well worth the drive to be here with you today. Um, you know, before I became a youth pastor at Colonial Woods, I was debating whether to go to a church plant in Arkansas. It would be a lot riskier. It kind of felt like it matched my DNA a little bit. And uh, I remember talking to a random person down there who was leading a Bible study, and I was telling him that there were some church planters coming to his area, and many of them were making big sacrifices to move there. And this guy running that Bible study said, boy, those are some unusual soldiers uh, moving to our area. And when he said that, it was like a branding iron hit my heart. I didn't know what he meant by that term, but I knew when I grow up, I want to be an unusual soldier. I still don't think I've arrived, but uh, that, that became something I wanted to be uh, as, I, uh, as I grew older in life. And I remember uh, eventually coming to Colonial Woods instead of doing that and, you know, just still praying, God, what is this strange word that man said? Unusual soldiers. And so when I came to Colonial Woods as a youth pastor, there was this little program uh, for a handful of students each year called Unusual Soldiers. Maybe uh, some of you are parents uh, that allowed your kids to go through that. God bless you. I would have never let my kid go through a program like that. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, would, uh, we would go out and just live for the Lord. And sometimes I'd pick up hitchhikers. I'm sorry. I did all kind of these extreme risky things at times that uh, don't seem so risky now. But uh, I'm sure if you were a parent back then, you had been, uh, what are you doing with my kid? I have a teenager now, so I see things a little different. But uh, it didn't take me long to realize a few years in that God wired me a little different. Uh, probably not, pro I probably wasn't going to fit in the normal traditional church setting as a pastor, but it would require me to probably step out in faith to really figure out what this calling I sensed God was putting on my heart. And, and I remember my journal, I would draw a picture, kind of like what you have in, uh, in your uh, notes there. Just, uh, it would be me, you can draw yourself if you want, on the edge of a cliff. And then I, in my journal, I, I wrote the word unusual soldiers on the other side of the cliff because I felt like God was calling me to something that was scaring me to death. It was going to be like walking out on a tightrope. This is what, when I began to share these feelings with Pastor Phil, this is what he, he said to me. He said, Caleb, I feel like God's maybe calling you to a unique ministry 
And it's like being on the edge of the cliff and there's a, a tightrope. But Caleb, I don't know if there's a safety net. And, uh, and so when, when people would say things like that, and Pastor Phil would say things like that, it resonated with me for whatever reason. It felt like God was calling me to something risky. And, and so I knew that I was going to transition my job. And, but before I do, did that, I wanted to know kind of better, what is an unusual soldier? And I began to pray, God, how can I find this out? And I prayed about maybe traveling some other places in the world. And there was a place in, in Africa, and there was a tribe there known as the Maasai, if you've been to Kenya. And, and I felt like the Lord was saying to go there. And this was in 2005. The Maasai at that point in time had been fighting the Kikuyu tribe. And so I wasn't used to, obviously I was a youth pastor, I wasn't used to tribal fighting, didn't know anything about that, but just began to pray, God, if you want me to go there, show me how to make this happen. And again, talked to Pastor Phil about this before I was going to transition jobs, just feeling led to go to Africa. And, and Pastor Phil said something like, you know, Caleb, sometimes God leaves people on a prayer journey. Caleb, I don't necessarily want you to take the youth with you or the college kids, but if God's calling you to go, oh, we'll bless you to go alone. But, uh, you know, it'd probably be best uh, that uh, you go with the Lord and, and see what he has. And, and honestly, that was some of the best advice I'd ever had because it pushed me to the limit of really asking the Lord, do I really want to step out in faith to discover what uh, this calling God has placed in my heart? So as you hear this message Maybe there's a calling God's placed on your heart. I just want you to kind of evaluate that as you hear me kind of share my testimony of how God uh, took me out and over the edge. And, and one of the things that began to help me as I was wrestling with this calling to, to go to Africa, and you know, eventually I, I found a, a missionary I didn't know on the internet who said, hey, I know a guy named Simon. He, he's a tribesman, lives in the bush. He loves Jesus. He can go with you out to some remote villages. You can go share the hope of Christ with people. And I'm like, who's this guy, Simon? I have no idea who this missionary is, who this Simon is. I don't know about tribal conflict. And, and so I noticed that all this stuff begins to kind of uh, uh, give me an anxiety attack. And so I began to come to a point of just researching the Bible. God, is there other people that go through this? Or is this just me? And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of stories I could share in the Bible of people that are called to kind of take a leap or a step of faith. And one of them I want to read to you this morning is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, uh, verse 11. If you want to open your Bibles there, you're welcome to. This is the story of Gideon. And at this point in, the, in the Israel's life, Israel had kind of strayed from the Lord, and now uh, Midian, or the Midianites, were beginning to oppress the Israelites. And uh, the, the Midianites were coming in and stealing their crops year after year. It was just, they were constantly being harassed and uh, Israel was just frustrated and and so there's this moment that kind of changes everything in Judges chapter 6 verse 11 it says uh, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah and some people believe the angel of the Lord may have been Jesus uh, some scholars think that we can't say for sure but it, it's possible and uh, it says it came and sat at the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, a wine press is used not for wheat, it's used for grapes. It's almost like a dugout swimming pool. You'd go underneath and you kind of step on these grapes. But here he is with wheat down there because he's hiding from the Midianites. He doesn't want to be seen. Some people may even say he's a bit of a coward. He, he, he's hiding down in this uh, wine press to, to thresh his wheat. And then it 
the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says something. And if you have your Bibles, I want to see if you catch this. It doesn't really match up with what I would think the angel of the Lord would normally say, right? It says, the angel of the Lord showed up, appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you. What's the next phrase? Mighty warrior. Some of you say man of valor. Some say mighty hero. It's like, wait a minute. This guy's hiding in a wine press. <laughs> uh, mighty coward, maybe. But here, I love that the Lord sees something in him that he does not see in himself. And look what Gideon says right away. He says, pardon me, Lord, uh, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are all, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. So here he is. He's questioning God's presence. God, where are you? Now, if you go back in the text, you'll learn that Israel is the one that kind of strayed. But he's like, God, where are you? Where are you? And then, God, I thought you were good. This isn't very good. You know, he's questioning God's goodness. And we see a lot of this even in our culture today. Our, our culture seems to be questioning a lot of things uh, about the Lord. But, uh, but I'm amazed that God would still show up at this guy. And maybe you're one of those that's questioning things. God still didn't count him out. Still shows up to this guy and, and calls him to take a step of faith. And then look at Gideon's next words. It says, the Lord turned to him. And said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So first he's questioning God. Now he's questioning himself. Basically saying, God, who am I? God, I don't have what it takes. And if God's ever put a call on your life, I know sometimes God calls us to make a corner, a new decision in life, but sometimes he takes us to the edge of a cliff and it, it's terrifying. If you're a note taker, you can just write safety on the cliff and write fear beyond that cliff because stepping out a lot of times can require, it, it, it's uh, something that brings a lot of fear and anxiety. There's a wrestling match that begins to take place and, and Gideon is saying basically, Lord, I don't have what it takes. And then I love what the Lord says here. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive, it says. And then we go on and we read a little bit farther that he was clothed in power. Now here, when we sense God calling us to do something, and when we come to that point, you most likely will, where you say, I don't have what it takes. You know, when I was beginning to question the Lord, uh, you know, I, I, to, to go to Africa or not, that, that was my mind. I began to think of every reason why I'm not qualified. Number one is, uh, I, I'll let this out of the bag. I don't know if I told you when I was here, but I went to a Christian college, but I went for art. Yep, not ministry. Yeah, I snuck through the cracks. I got here because of my wife, probably, all right? Um, that, that's probably true. Uh, Second thing, you know, I was terrified. I didn't feel like I understood missiology. I didn't know how missions work. I wasn't a missionary. I didn't know how to do things right. I didn't know how to plant churches. You know, I just had a, a dream to, to go there and to try to make a difference. And, and it just would not go away. So I had what I call kind of the blue water bridge moment 
where I went out at midnight and, you know, it's like, God, am I really going to go to Africa by myself where they're fighting to try to reach tribes? And I'm going to go with some guy named Simon. I don't even know who this bush man is. Can he even speak English? Lord, what am I doing? I'm definitely not raising support for this because I'm probably going to fail. And, uh, and I remember going through all this and there was a moment where I had a, a great prayer time with the Lord at the uh, Blue Water Bridge at midnight where a peace just came over me. And I realized that he's with me. You see, when we begin to say we don't have what it takes, remember that that this power that Gideon was given, now in New Testament times, since the book of Acts times in the Bible, anybody a Christian here, by the way? Just quick, hand up, hand down. If you're not, don't die. But I believe if I understand Scripture right, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. And we say, I don't have what it takes. We have the power, did you hear that part, of raise Jesus from the dead inside of us. You might not, but God, I'm pretty sure, has what it takes. And and I remember just having to trust that fact as I ended up uh, saying yes to the Lord and I'm going to to, to go to Africa and, you know, instead of asking the questions like, God, I, do I have what it takes? And all those questions, am I qualified? Ask these questions. These are, these are the three questions. Anytime I step out on this tightrope for God, I ask three questions. One, I say, God, I, I feel like you're calling me to, to do something that scares me. Lord, if I do, and if this works, will it glorify you? If it's all about you, maybe you need to turn around. Next one is, is it scriptural? Is what God's asking me to do, is it scriptural? Is it Bible-based? Can I find it in the Bible? If not, I'd say turn around. Last one, do other people of prayer confirm it? I usually don't ask my mother if I should step forward. She'll say, don't do that. You'll get hurt. I ask people that say, hey, let me pray for three days and get back to you. And if there's kind of a consensus, then I'm like, okay, I'll step forward. Now that's my board of directors who I would talk to. So th- those are things that, that, that help me discern whether to make a step of faith or, or to turn around and to not make a step of faith. And you know, I'm so glad in 2005 I took that step of faith. There was a moment that was pivotal that changed my life forever. Being with this Bushman Simon, I felt like I saw a role model of an unusual soldier. This guy was courageous. He was ready to go to places that had never heard of Christ, but he was also ready to go places where Christians had been beaten. Uh, some places we'd go, we see entire villages want to receive Christ, and now churches are planted there. But other places we'd go, he'd say, Caleb, I got to tell you about this village, Caleb. This one, well, they beat Christians last time they went there. And, you know, I'm an art major from Nebraska, middle of nowhere is where I'm born, you know? And I'm like, what in the world? But he would always have this faith to go in. And I remember as we were hiking into a village that had beaten Christians, I was getting scared. Like, what are we doing? And he would say, Caleb, Caleb, you should know this, Caleb. Caleb, there's no greater way to die, Caleb, than for Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you, Simon. That's how a Maasai Christian encourages you. But you know what? He inspired me. I was terrified, but I was more alive. I just like being next to this guy, going into places, actually believing that there's a power inside of us. He's not well-educated. He doesn't have any crazy degrees, but this guy just loves God and is willing to go wherever 
it takes. And I'll tell you what, that's some of the best college education I've ever had was walking into some of those places. And you know what? Uh, people came to the Lord in that village that had beaten Christians. Even uh, two or three of the guys that had beaten Christians came to Christ. I'd always, I, I, I thought we were supposed to brush it off our feet, but God showed me that even these hard, hard places, God can do great things. And so that began to plant a seed in my heart for places that are uh, dark, places that are dangerous, and places are, that are difficult. And, and you know, when I look at Gideon's example, I see that I can only imagine what he went through as, as Gideon was getting ready to go in to, to, uh, to hopefully defeat the Midianites. He's testing God, looking for confirmation. God, should I really take this step? He's asking for supernatural confirmation. God gives it to him miraculously. Then uh, as he's getting ready to go, you know, God says, hold on, Gideon, you have too many men. If you remember the story, what's he say? He says, Tell the men that don't want to take the step, if they're afraid, tell them to go back home. So here's Gideon, 32,000 men and 22,000 go back home. Then he says, hey, Gideon, you still got too many men. I want to make sure that your victory brings me glory. So he says, I'm going to have you guys drink out of a stream. And so Gideon has everybody drink out of a stream and some of them cup their hands and a lot of them stick their face right in the water. I don't understand why, but uh, 9,700 of them stuck their face in the water. They must have been really thirsty that day. And so the Lord says, I want you to send the 9,700 away, and now you have 300 men, Gideon, to go and to defeat the Midianites. And, and by the way, Gideon, you're not going to need a sword for this mission. Just take some clay pots, some torches, and some ram's horns, we're going to circle them at midnight and we're going to scare them. <laughs> and that's what they do. If you remember the story, the ram's horns are blown. The torches are, are held high. They yell, this is the sword of the Lord and, and for Gideon. And, and all of a sudden they, they panic. They run away. Some of them uh, start killing one another. Uh, just crazy what happened. But I love that story. I love that that's a true story. That God did the miraculous through a guy that may have been labeled a coward may have been labeled a coward. And so the, the math, you know, when I look at Gideon's story, if you were to take that 300, there's about 135,000 Midianites, by the way. So that's like one man versus 450. And that's the math that I would probably calculate. Our odds are against us, but I've come to the conclusion that the best math is probably one man or woman plus God equals enough. One man plus God, one woman plus God equals enough. We see God burst through over and over again. I, I, I wish I could tell you stories, all the stories of the last few years of stepping out in faith when God began to give Simon and I a vision. But I, I saw that ordinary Bushman Simon help us launch a movement with 30 pastors and we rented air, an airplane and found all these villages and we see multiple churches planted through a Bushman. He wasn't a bishop, he was a Bushman. And I love, uh, I've seen nurses just last year in uh, eastern Ukraine at the war front. Uh, they're out helping people in, the, in this homeless shelter. And all of a sudden these nurses click into a mode of, of we need to share the gospel with these people. And all these people begin to, to come to the Lord right there about 20 miles from the war. I've seen an MMA fighter. Uh, just come alive, and, and uh, he began to wonder, what's my purpose? You know, I'm a, uh, kind of a, I'm a UFC fighter. 
I've done all this crazy stuff, but he began to get a heart for the pygmies, traveled with me to the pygmies, and, you know, my last note from him was, uh, he sent me a video, and there's a whole village, you know, this guy named Joe Rogan supports him, anybody know that name, all right, so, I mean, there's a whole village that they've built in, uh, in uh, Uganda now, and he was just an MMA fighter, just trying to figure out his life, I've seen uh, engineers that, uh, you know, we're going one way and then they're like, I'm going to U-turn and one of those guys we trained recently just uh, uh, translated the whole New Testament Hadzabi, uh Bible. And, and I, I see, I've seen CFOs. I remember preaching once and trying to, you know, reach out to this community and they're all heckling me and then a CFO comes over, very calculative thinker, just sits at a campfire with those guys that were heckling me. Next thing I know, they're bowing in prayer with the CFO coming to the Lord. I'm like, my goodness, God can use anybody. No offense if you're a CFO. Of course he can use you, all right? But uh, it was amazing to watch that, uh, you know, it wasn't the preacher who thought he had it all figured out, but it was the person that probably didn't feel like they had what it took at that moment, but God used them. And it's been amazing to watch what God can do. But I've noticed sometimes as we step out in faith, if God ever calls you to do it, it may not go the way you have planned. You know, Proverbs says, a man can plan his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And sometimes we step out on that, that uh, tight wire and we think we know exactly where God's taking this mission and, and then we can feel the wind and it can go different ways. I remember uh, once in the, in the Congo, uh, we were in a place, uh, a conflict zone and there was a bunch of women that came to this conference we put on and then these women took me to their church and the pastor showed me that this was really kind of a bunch of women that had been raped and hurt and uh, they were just in a desperate hurting situation and, and uh, one of the ladies I met, her, her whole family had been killed by rebels so she was a sole survivor and I was just broken. And you know, I made a quick decision. I was like, we're going to find you a shelter. We're going to buy you a shelter and I didn't have any money. So I, I tend to kind of jump off the cliff, build the parachute on the way down, all right? I, I, and I told him, I, I'm committed to this. I said, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I'm going to grow a beard, and, uh, and I'll keep growing my beard till I raise enough money to buy you guys a house. And so I, it, it got pretty bushy. I didn't shave, didn't trim, all right? Everybody felt sorry for my wife, so everybody gave me money. It was awesome. And so all this money came in, and then uh, we buy them the shelter, this, this house, and and it was awesome. We went over to Congo. We celebrated. The ladies danced and cheered and uh, thought it was a great success, bought sewing machines, and, and we left. And I thought, man, God did awesome things. And, and then I find out later that, uh, you know, that, that one gal that was there, we kind of reached out to her who lost her family and just said, hey, we won't forget you. We're going to be praying for you. And, and then I found out a few days later that uh, those women, the pastor, lied to me. The congregation lied to me. You know, the worst part was that house was donated in memory of a, of a child that died. A lot of that was funds. So as, you know, when we raise support, that, that'll hurt you. And then, uh, and then I find out that girl of a sole survivor, the, the community recognized that we were kind of showing her compassion, maybe a little more than the others, maybe favoritism. And so I was called by a, a guy in the area and they said, we think she, that girl's dead. We think she died. We think the, the women killed her. 
It's like, what are you talking about? We're just trying to help people here. And that, that'll wreck you when you're trying to, you know, number one, all this money, you know, went to a different direction. And, you know, they end up stealing things. And then this girl's, is she killed? We don't know. And so, you know, I walked out on faith, Lord. And so sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to go. They found her in the hospital. She was still alive. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I just said, uh, uh, can we send her to another country? I didn't know. Uh, I, uh, can we do that? I, I didn't know all the red tape. And they said, sure, let's try it. And so I end up sending her about three countries over to this bushman named Simon. Remember him? Caleb, what can I do for you, Caleb? Oh, Simon, can I have this girl? Well, can she live with you? Okay, Caleb. Yeah. And so he just welcomes her into his hut made out of cow dung. And so this girl's now living with him. And it's like, okay, Lord, that wasn't my plan. I thought we were building a house, but God's doing things here, I guess. And next thing I know, over the next couple of years, she's learning English. And now we're able to communicate. Next thing I know, this wasn't part of the original plan. She applies to be a refugee in the United States. Next thing I know, she's moving to the United States. Next thing I know, she's going back to high school and she's getting her full education. Next thing I know, uh, her doctor's appointments where she was shot by bullets when she once ran from people, now she's getting all expense paid, all this medical attention. It would have been 100,000 plus dollars is now being taken care of for this girl. And just a few years ago, she was uh, walking on a college campus, dreaming what it would be like to go to a Christian campus to become a counselor. She went on a day where nobody was there uh, no students were there. There's walking. And there's one man that's walking on the sidewalk that walks beside her. Just happened to be the president. Says, who are you? What's your story? She shares her story. His heart broken. Said, you know what? You're funded. Next four years, $35,000 a year, full ride. She's going to graduate in a few months. Wasn't my plan. I, I was trying to build a shelter, but God, sometimes he takes it and he does something I would say even better, even greater, even more powerful than you can imagine. And I've been amazed, you know, a lot of times stepping out on faith has not been easy. It's been hard. It requires a resilient spirit. You got to have a lot of grit sometimes, but I can't tell you one time when I've actually taken that step and regretted it. Never once have I ever regretted taking a step of faith. And you know, here we are since I left Colonial Woods now. Unusual Soldiers is now a nonprofit. We, we go and we engage dark, dangerous, difficult places. We train people. God's brought some military guys that helped train me in how to survive in hostile regions. It's awesome how God has kind of just kind of networked me with the right crew to train people to go to some of the risky, hard places in the world. And, and you know what? One thing I love about that Bushman Simon that I met years ago when I first was that Colonial Woods, that stranger. Simon and I are like best buddies today. We're, we're still friends. Just this last year, I was with Simon. We're dreaming up new tightropes. Simon and I, we just love now, let's just go for it. Or, you know, we trust the Lord. And uh, now we're, we're dreaming of a place in northwest Kenya. It's like the desert. But there's bandits up there, a lot of bandits. And uh, they, did, they just shoot at cars driving by. They don't have spears and arrows like the other places I went. They have AK-47s. And, and you know, I remember we had a dream of taking water to a village there, a Turkana village. And uh, we hadn't done this before. And the day we're getting ready to go up there, right on the news it says that the, the bandits attacked. 
and uh, three or four police officers were shot and their land cruisers were burned and the police officers were stripped and, and we realized we're going to have to drive right on that same road. And uh, I was, uh, again, a bit terrified, a bit scared and, uh, and, and I would always ask Simon, are you sure this is a good idea? And Oh, yes, Caleb. He would always say, oh, we'll be fine, Caleb. Trust the Lord, Caleb. It's like, oh, you know, I don't know. Okay, I still, I still struggle with this guy a little bit, but, you know, the Lord brought us to this village, and, and we got through. We saw the land cruisers. We drove right by them. Nobody else was on the road except us. I'm just looking at the bushes, wishing I had a bulletproof vest on, but eventually we got to the, the destination, got to this, uh, this village, and we had a dream now of uh, seeing what it's like to, to be a Turkana, tribes person to, to we wanted to know what it was like for them to get water I had never done anything like this and and so uh, we uh, we grabbed the jug and we hiked with the Turkana to go get water it's about a hundred degrees every day there and I remember we hiked uh, four miles out to a little trickle stream and then they told me uh, what happens sometimes at that stream they told me just a few months before we got there how the bandits came and killed people and stole their uh, stole their cattle and I was heartbroken for them once again. And then I'm taking this big jug back and I'm about half dead after the eight mile hike to that heat. I was like, Lord, can we bring them water? Lord, this is something I don't even know how to dig a well. And, uh, and so we went to our friend Google and Google helped us out. And we found a drilling company, somebody that was really, had good reviews and, and the Lord, uh, you know, brought this company alongside us and, you know, but first we need to raise the funds. And so what I would need is, uh, is there going to be anybody that has enough, uh, wants to take a step of faith to join our ministry? You know, I'm trying to raise 25 grand because it's a desert. It's a deep borehole. And so I was terrified thinking nobody's going to want to support us because I don't really feel like, you know, uh, I've never done this before. But again, I think some of you guys were some of those people that stepped out in faith and said, we want to be a part of this project. And and uh, and just this last uh, couple weeks, it was amazing to be over there to watch this water come out of the ground. And I was so scared it was going to be salt water. About one third of them are, are salt water, but it came out. It was it was fresh water. And to see these children dancing in the water and and to see them celebrating was it was worth everything. And so I w- I want to say this. I want to say thank you for those of you that did step out on faith that you maybe joined us in that. But also I want to say, maybe God's got a, a mission for you. Maybe not everyone, but maybe some of you know what that wrestling match is like inside. And maybe God's calling some of you to take a step of faith. You know if it's you or not. I would just say, do these three things. Number one, begin to pray about it, right? But also, is, is it going to glorify God if you take that step? Is it scriptural? If it's both of those things, then maybe you should get three to five people just to pray about it with you and to see if it's a step you should take. I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come and close us. Would you thank Caleb for being an unusual soldier? (laughs) Caleb and I were chatting a few days ago about where his direction was and the other passage he was looking at going at was actually the last message I did in the, uh, the, the last series, Daring Faith, which is Stepping on Water. And I'm, I'm reminded of something. You might say, man, I could never do what Caleb's doing. By the way, uh, 18 years ago, Caleb couldn't do what Caleb's doing. 
I could never do that. I could never take that. Not if you're still sitting in the boat, you can't. And God calls us to take a step and then a step. And if we just say yes, he's really faithful. It may be a step of a missions trip, a step of doing a service project, a step of engaging in a ministry, a step of financial faith, whatever it is. Small steps, there are no small steps. Small steps always lead to deeper steps if we just say yes. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. As Caleb was sharing, I was thinking back in those days. It's been a while. What a joy to watch as you have led him, his family. Lord, you've blessed him. But you've blessed us as well of being partners in that ministry. And Lord, as the stirring is happening, the greatness of a church isn't what comes in. It's who and what goes out. And so, Father, we want to be a church that reaches out and sees lives transformed and changed for your glory. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Turn to each other. Encourage each other. Prayer partners are here. If you have anything that God may be stirring in your heart, if you'd like us to pray with you, and Caleb will be around as well. If you want to learn how to become an unusual soldier or, or maybe go out to one of their training camps, we'll help you get in touch. God bless as you go.